On this episode of the TICE podcast, I chat to Richard Cassidy, Senior Director, Security Strategy, EMEA at Exabee. Richard talks to us about threat hunting and the new and not so new threat actors he's been seeing in recent months. Richard makes the case for InfoSec leaders to add a threat hunting function within their organisations and to revisit and rewrite their incident response playbooks for a work from home world. I'm Russell, Head of Content at TICE, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Richard, thank you for joining us on the Tice podcast. Uh, I wonder if you could give us a, a quick overview of um, what you do and how you got to where you are. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, well, I, I don't want to take up all our time talking about myself, but uh, 20 years in, in the industry, uh, started out in ASIC-based firewalling way back in the day, early days of virtualization, kind of rode all those waves through uh, NAC, endpoint security, cloud security platforms, um, UTM, um, and kind of now sort of sat in the sort of advanced analytics kind of AI ML space for uh, sort of cybersecurity. So it's so quite, a, quite a big background, but uh, right now I'm at Exabi. I'm the Senior Director of Security Strategy in EMEA. So really I'm, I'm kind of the technologist that, that sort of lends credence to what's going on in the market. Um, kind of what that really means to businesses and, and to SOC analysts and threat hunters and hopefully make their job a little bit easier and bring them some ideas and tool sets they may not have considered. So in a nutshell, that's me. Brilliant. It's threat hunting I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, so um, what's, we're obviously living in a post-COVID-19 world and um, everybody is either remote working or the world of work has changed significantly. Um, Cybercrime has probably changed significantly as well. So, what uh, what new or emerging threats or threat vectors have you been seeing in the last few months? So, look, this is a, a great question. Um, I've been doing various presentations on cybercrime and kind of criminal networks and how they monetize your data and others' data for probably the past six or seven years. Um, I'll tell you genuinely, I don't see a great deal that's changed in terms of how these cybercrime groups operate. Um, and even the APT groups to a large extent, and, and, and that doesn't answer your question, I've, I've got more detail to add to it. I mean, cyber criminals have definitely upped the ante on the monetization aspect, that's what it's all about. And in fact, since 2010, we've seen kind of a steep rise in how easily they're able to monetize uh, data from you know, data breaches of customer data or personal identifiable information through to the sort of usual R&D kind of data, which feeds more into the APT group ecosystem. Um, and, and we can talk about that in a moment. In terms of how they're doing it, I mean, genuinely, if you look at the, the, the techniques that they're using, you know, phishing is still up there, social engineering under the sort of, you know, phishing's under that umbrella. Uh, but in COVID-19, we've seen a marked increase in, in the social engineering attacks. What I mean by that are things like uh, calls to key individuals to try to extract credentials, uh, smishing, which is essentially, you know, text-based phishing, uh, to get somebody to connect to a website, enter credentials, and then your traditional uh, delivery of a, of a malicious payload, either to bring them back to a website to, to leak credentials or to, to download a remote access Trojan um, or, you know, more, more sort of maliciously a, a ransomware tool to extort some money. So it really is no surprise. We haven't seen a great change in the techniques they're using. But the tool sets, there's some of the old suspects are, are making a, a sort of a re-emergence or a reappearance. Um, so... If you look to the back end of sort of 2019, 
uh, for early 2020, you know, the, the kind of the five I'd have seen a lot in my threat hunting investigations would have been things like Zeus, Tridex, Kofter, Coin Miner, and Cerber. And what's interesting about those five is they're actually all very different kind of malware applications, right? Some are more about, look, uh, you know, keystroke logging, uh, trying to get credentials. Others are more sort of ransomware based or crypto sort of mining uh, functionality. Um, and others are, are a, a, a sort of a bench to, to install more malicious uh, tools and, and extract more credentials. So um, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting to see if I look at sort of the last 30 days or so, um, you know, there's been a, a, a definitely an uptick in things like phishing-based uh, delivery of Trojans, right? So we've had some major financial organizations kind of bearing the brunt of uh, phishing attacks that uh, deploys Trojans in the back end to steal credentials. Um, and we're looking at other attacks that sort of sit more into the um, exploited file sharing services as well. And that's an interesting one because organizations, you know, they, you know, <laughs> business is sort of predicting the rate of change of security. It's not the other way around these days because of COVID-19, we've had to react at a significant rate to enable access to, you know, cloud applications or resources. And businesses haven't been able to follow the usual kind of checks and balances process. So in that, you know, the attackers know it. The attackers know there are going to be configuration weaknesses. They know that organizations, users are going to be open to, to social engineering attacks. And that's essentially where they're starting to, to kind of jump on that bandwagon and, and introduce sort of tools and, and, and applications that allow them to A, leak credentials and B, uh, you know, hold the endpoint to, to extortion through ransomware techniques. So uh, a very kind of high level answer, and I can go into some more details in a moment, but that's kind of my 50,000 foot view of what we've seen over the past three months. And so uh, I take from that, you're, you're sort of seeing um, the same techniques, the same tactics and the same tools. You wouldn't expect these to change over the coming short term for like say the rest of 2020. Yeah, I mean, let me elaborate on that a little bit more because <clears throat> Although we are seeing the same techniques, are we necessarily seeing exactly the same tools? And the answer is not necessarily. I mean, it's no surprise, right, in the in the, the vast underground that is cyber criminal and APT group activity, that traditional tools like Zeus, for instance, um, like Remcos, which is kind of a, one that's sort of resurfaced, uh, are, are being changed, right, to try to bypass the sort of endpoint detection tools. And um, so if, if I kind of take three as an example, you know, Remcos is one that we're seeing being delivered as a remote access tool in all sorts of phishing campaigns, right? And, you know, the, the APT groups and the cyber criminals who I talk about very differently because what I'm seeing in terms of APT activity is not exactly the same as I'm seeing in cybersecurity activity. But, um, but if we go back to Remcos, so it's kind of more of a cybercrime tool, right? It's remote access to the endpoint. It's the ability to bypass particular controls in Microsoft Windows, UAC security, and execute malware with high privilege. And as in 99% of malware cases, what are the attackers after? It's credentials, 
because they want to be able to laterally move, or if they've managed to gain the credential of a fairly high-privileged user, then simply just look at the, the data this user has access to and be less noisy about what they're going after. Um, and once you've got those credentials, as we all know, um, it's a case of then just moving around and finding what it is that you're looking for. So Remcos is, is one that's kind of resurfaced. It's been around since 2016, but it's been slightly changed. And then another one is um, the Ave Maria kind of malware spam tool. Um, and it's linked to kind of Negasteel agent, um, which is something again, that's, that's not new to the industry. Um, it's, it's a kind of an obfuscated malware that is delivered again via spam emails, but, it, but essentially it's looking for credentials and it's allowing uh, the delivery of remote access tool to be able to start logging keystrokes um, and then starting to kind of laterally move from there. And, and one that's really interesting, kind of the final in the three that I wanted to mention as, as sort of research, resurfacing over the past sort of 90 days is one called F-Unicorn. And I'll let you decide what the F means. Um, but this is an interesting one because it, it's focused um, mainly on Italy and it's, it's taking advantage of COVID-19 infection maps and uh, the tracing app that Italy are trying to deploy across the country. And it's trying to, trying to fake them into installing uh, this particular uh, malware. And, um, and then it goes and does what most malware does. Um, so these are the three kind of new kids on the block. And I say new kids, they're kind of reshaped, uh, you know, new, new shade of lipstick or hairstyle, remote access tools and malware that, that, um, that, that the industry is kind of fighting over the past 90 days. With, with threats like these, um, is, is threat hunting uh, a route that's available to, to all InfoSec leaders? Um, and, and how does an InfoSec leader decide or make the case for uh, a threat hunting function in their organization? So uh, <clears throat> this is a really, really good question. And you could almost have, you know, a several hour blog just on how valid or useful is threat hunting when it comes to detecting these kinds of tools or these kind of, kinds of TTPs, whether it's cybersecurity, sorry, cyber criminal groups or APT groups. Um, so look, threat hunting is available to, to every organization, whether you are using the MITRE ATT&CK framework, whether you're using open source tools to, to kind of do more advanced threat hunting or automated threat functions, it's available to all organizations. The challenge is, and having been an ex-threat hunter myself in a SOC uh, environment, is where do you start, right? What is it that you start threat hunting against? And that kind of comes down to um, a couple of different things. You know, essentially, you've got to understand what it is that you're protecting where you're protecting it from and, and who are the users you're protecting because you can't just threat hunt sort of open-ended. You have to have an idea of where your critical assets lay and, and, and what those sort of threat vectors are you're going to protect yourself from. And then threat hunting makes more sense. Now, I'm not here to, to pick on MITRE. I think MITRE do a great job of identifying different techniques and tactics, but it can almost be um, almost an overwhelming kind of sense of where do I start? If you look at everything that's in MITRE, the pre-attack framework, the enterprise framework, the mobile framework, it's no wonder that organizations are kind of thinking that threat hunting is way outside of their capability. But again, let's go back to the simple fact that malware and cyber criminal groups and APT groups need credentials, and, and I'm leaving ransomware aside to a large extent there, to do damage. 
So if you're going to be threat hunting, start your threat hunting functions on your, your, your privileged users, on your executive or critical or key users, and look at what those credentials are doing, where they're coming from. Are they doing things outside of the normal? What's the kind of timeline of events that might sort of point to the fact that there is a compromise here and that potentially there has been a leak of this credential and you've caught early stage in the kind of you know, reconnaissance, sort of early lateral movement phase, something that could potentially be a much, much bigger problem. So I don't, hopefully that answers your question, but it's a very big subject in of itself, the kind of how do I threat hunt, can I threat hunt, should I threat hunt question. I understand. I wanted to go into breach response with you and how infosec leaders should be adjusting their breach playbooks in our current work from home world. Have things changed or do you have advice for infosec leaders? So, you know, it's, I, I, I still get shocked by this entire notion uh, today. I mean, I, the amount of customers I've spoken to over the past six months alone that are still running off of manual breach response playbooks. And it's because there's almost this reticence to use automation to its fullest extent. And I mean, it's really simple, right? If, if the CPU can perform, you know, tasks much quicker than the human, and enable the human to get to the point of context or the time to answer quickly, why would you not do that? And so I think the first challenge that organizations have is, is adopting breach response in a more automated fashion and not being so worried about, does automation mean I could potentially cause an outage? Because actually, in, in actually it, 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 the fact of the matter is that boards, that sort of executive leadership teams, are concerned about outages more than they are anything else these days. And these are from conversations I'm, I'm having with these, with these individuals. But outages mean so much more. And if you're not automating your breach response playbooks, you're really going to find that the risk of outage is much higher, especially when we talk about the latest strains of malwares that are, are sort of doing the rounds. Now, in terms of what should have changed or what has changed, well, it's becoming it's become a much, much more... Um, difficult task to implement your traditional breach response playbooks um, in the traditional corporate sense. Now that your SOC uh, teams are probably working from home, and most of your key users um, and executive users are now working remotely more so than ever done before. So, you know, how do you grab artifacts from devices that you don't own, right? Because shadow IT becomes a big problem or bring your own device. Um, so a lot of businesses haven't really looked into how their breach response framework needs to change. How can they quarantine an endpoint or a, a mobile device that may well be compromised? How do they sort of memory grab to do deeper malware analysis if it's a fileless malware payload that's been delivered? Um, and they, they get caught short very quickly. And then the outage becomes less about the business and more about the key personnel in that business that, can, that can't get access to IT resources because the breach response playbook hasn't factored in the fact that this person's at home and you can't go visit them because of social distancing measures. So if organizations do anything today, it's about looking at their existing uh, kind of most commonly implemented response playbooks and make sure that they've been adapted and augmented to this new kind of distributed socially distanced working environment. Um, and that's where automation helps massively, right? Being able to execute tools in the playbook, being able to sort of micro-segment when we have the first signs of potential breach or risk activity, uh, you know, put, putting people into different network segments, segments or quarantining them into, you know, particular areas. These things are kind of low-touch, very high 
uh, reward functions in a breach response playbook when you're dealing with remote users that you can't physically go to a desk and start monitoring the endpoint. So hopefully that's answered your question. And again, it's a big subject, but I think that's what we need to be considering more in our breach response frameworks. No, that was good. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Richard. Super. Thank you so much for having me. Our thanks to Richard for joining us and sharing his thoughts. As ever, you'll find many more podcasts and video interviews on www.tice.co.uk and we hope you join us again soon.